Will you turn with me in your Bible, please, to 1 Thessalonians? 1 Thessalonians. We're going to be looking at chapter 5. It's the end of the book. Thessalonica is an interesting area, this, this place where this is being written to. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica. And this church is the capital area for the Roman Empire for Macedonia, which is Greece. And so the Macedonian section of the empire is basically ruled out of Thessalonica. And so the Thessalonians are a pretty important eclectic group of people. There are uh, some like Arab kind of root people. There's a lot of Greek people. There's Jewish people. There's Roman people. There's a, a lot of different people, which means a melting pot of religious sentiment, political sentiment, all these kind of things. And this particular city has about 100,000 people in it. And so it's a big city for this time period when Paul is writing. And they have received the gospel in, in Macedonia and Greece, and they have received it with vigor. They have embraced the teaching that Paul has said, and they have grown quickly, and they're doing a great job, and things are really good. And then Paul has to go away for different reasons and is trying to come back and can't come back. So he sends Timothy, his disciple and sort of son in the faith, who is instructing the people. But they've had a lot of persecution and turmoil and difficulty. And then Paul was there and then was gone. And so some of the people in the church got a little confused about some things. And Paul writes them with urgency in the book of 1 Thessalonians, talking to them about the return of Jesus. He's coming back. Don't be mistaken. Stand in unity together knowing the Lord is returning and what you do matters because you are servants in his kingdom. And so he's writing that. So in five chapters, we see Paul unfolding the same theme. The Lord is returning. And so you are living in the expectation of him coming back. Don't forget your hope. And he was also wanting to come and all these kind of things, but he's reminding them of these first things which are, are important in the kingdom of God. We've been looking the last several weeks at the covenant and the kingdom, the kingdom of God, and serving the kingdom. You know, the kingdom is bigger than the church. Did you know that the church will go away one day? Because what does the church do? We build each other up, and the Holy Spirit conforms us into the image of Christ, and one day you will be face-to-face -face with Christ, and the, the ministry of the church is no longer needed because you're there with him. And so the, the church is a temporary thing. The kingdom of God, however, lasts forever. Of the increase of his government, it will never end. So we don't have godly businesses and godly families and godly ethics and godly work practices and all these kind of things because we're good church people. We do all those things because we see the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, the revelation of who he is and what he's building is so different than the world. It's so different, so much better than the world, that it compels us in the Holy Spirit's power to do what he's called us to do because we want to have an expression now of all that he is already doing. Jesus is already on the throne. His kingdom is already going. And we get the privilege then of changing things. I was in the, when I was a little kid growing up, we used to walk uh, through Walmart parking lot or whatever. Do you remember Famous Bar? Yeah. I don't know why this popped in my head. I remember my grandmother used to work at Famous Bar. One time we went to the mall to Famous Bar, gone now, and in the parking lot there was trash. And so my dad had me and my brother and my sister go pick up the trash and take it to the bin 
And he loves telling people the story because we were so embarrassed. And as we put the trash in the trash can, we had to yell, not say, you couldn't whisper, you had to yell, the kingdom of God has come to this parking lot. That was our, because there's no, because the streets are gold. Are they actually gold? Probably, but they're definitely clean. They're definitely clean. And there's value in each person in the kingdom of God who picks up trash because the kingdom is orderly and beautiful and pristine and it's ready, the street is ready that if the king walks down it, it is prepared. That's a different mentality. And boy, I'll tell you what, don't do it at Famous Marks, there's nobody there. But if you go to Walmart at 11 o'clock at night and you yell, the kingdom of God has come to this parking lot, people also yell other things, it's great fun. You have no idea what will happen because Walmart after 11 is depressing. Let's be honest. But this is our, our, we're compelled by a vision of seeing what God is doing in the world. Did you know that Jesus said half of the time in the New Testament, whenever he was talking to the people, he would say, for my sake, do this. The other half of the time he would say, for my kingdom's sake, do this. It was so much on Jesus' mind, the kingdom of God, that that was the message and guys like Peter and John and James were not just gripped by Jesus doing miracles. There were other people doing miracles. Sometimes in the power of, we see this, weird spiritual things that were happening, technological things. People can do what seems like miracles now. The miracles weren't what held Peter and James and John to follow Jesus. It was the kingdom. And suddenly they realized one day, he's the king of the kingdom, and it changed everything. And so Jesus says to Peter, are you going to leave? And Peter says, where else can I go? You have the words of eternal life because he sees that Jesus, the king of the kingdom, is setting up a new regime in the world that changes everything. And the miracles are demonstrations of it. And that's why we still have miracles. Demonstrations of the kingdom order. Wow, I'm off my notes. <laughs> demonstrations of the kingdom order, though. There's no more sickness there's no more death. Streets of gold, this is what it's going to look like. And we walk in that Amen. as we bring. That's why we do food distribution. Let me, let me say this really clear because I want to be very clear, and it's going to sound really weird at first, so please bear with me. We are not racists. We are not helping the poor Africans who are less people than us. You hear me? We don't help the poor Pakistanis or the poor Indian people when we do these things in India and Pakistan. We're not helping the Guatemalans because they can't help themselves. That is, we're not doing that. We're bringing the kingdom because the Lord has blessed us and we want to, wherever there's opportunity, and opportunity came here, and then Mike goes to Zambia where we have brothers and sisters who are also seeing the kingdom birthed in these places, and then we do it through food and through love and through grace and through teaching and through conferences and through gospel and through shaping because at the end of the day, the one thing we proclaim is Christ and him crucified and his kingdom, him seated on the throne. That's everything. That is our church. That is every church. That's the message. It's Jesus Christ risen from the dead. He's the Lord. That means he's the owner. And if he's the Lord, it changes our morals. It changes our ethics. It changes our families. It changes how we love people. It's anti-racism. Because now we see people made in the image of God to be worshipers. And what's standing in their way is food. We got food. Doesn't that change everything? It changes everything. It changes how we see people who are begging for money by the Galleria. Because now it's a, here's an image bearer. I want you to see the kingdom too. 
And we yearn for the day where sometimes, yes, we give money, but also think about Peter walking around. Gold and silver I have not, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus. Stand and walk. And we walk in all these things that the Lord calls us to. Wow. Okay. It's a big calling. We're going to look at 1 Thessalonians. And we're doing a whiteboard Sunday. I'll try to, I'll try to be big writing. I apologize in, in advance for any misspelled words or bad handwriting. All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to look at the final instructions that Paul has as he's writing the church. And what we're doing is we're going to look at what does Paul tell us to do as kingdom people? If we're kingdom-minded people, we have kingdom-mindedness to serve Jesus, to see him glorified everywhere, everywhere we go. Paul just sort of lists off a bunch of things. And this is a, a short letter, actually. Think about Romans. You know, you've got 16 chapters of stuff. Here we have five chapters to the church of the Thessalonians. And so Paul is condensing what he's saying into a quick things. And this is what he says at the end that's important for us. He says this in verse 12. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 12. He says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Praise the Lord for his word. If you just had a little bit of parchment and there's great trouble... And you need to send to your family members something to encourage them, something to help them, something to admonish them. What would you say? Paul gives us a glimpse, an insight into the things that are most important here. Notice the urgency by which he talks. None of this sounds like options. Does it? There's urgency in it to do something for God. And he says also, that the Holy Spirit, or that the Lord Jesus is coming again. He says, he says that as we're giving thanks to God, we're being kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus, that he himself is sanctifying us in verse 23. These are things, these are big things. What does that word sanctify mean? To make holy, yeah. So sanctify is a, is a funny word that we like to throw out sometimes, like hallelujah. Sometimes we don't know what that means. That just means praise God, hallelujah. Hebrew words. Sanctify means a process by which we are looking more like Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean you have plastic surgery and your face changes. It means you're conformed by the Holy Spirit of God who is in us 
to look more like Jesus morally. You speak like him. You think like him. Now, that doesn't mean you lose your whole personality. Because God created you. He's much bigger than you. He actually is filling you out to be more like him, and you still get to be you. But it means that you start to act like him, speak like him, all the things. And here's the greatest part. As you are doing this and finding sanctification happening in your life, and you're looking more like Jesus, the fruit of that is the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. As the fruit of the Spirit comes out of you, it's, it's the character of Christ that comes out of you. And what do we do? We say, Lord, give me more patience. What usually happens if you pray that terrible prayer? Oh, man, you're going to find a five-year-old coloring on the wall. You're going to find a three-year-old clogging in the toilet. You're going to find an eight-year-old taking apart the toilet. You're going to find all kind of stuff happening, right? Because the Lord, yeah, he's going he's gonna, to, here's the opportunity. And what is he expecting? Is he expecting you to be more patient? Yes. But how? Through the Spirit. Because your dependency upon him, you, he's with you. You're communing with him. And you say, Lord, help me to be more patient. And he goes, yes. And now stuff does happen, but it doesn't happen alone. And as soon as you say, Lord, help me, yeah, okay. Because he's already, he's there. And he's faithful to what he said. And Paul tells us this. He who calls you in verse 24 is faithful. He will surely do it. Did you know that sanctification is not a choice? Because the Holy Spirit resides in us, and he is the one who will see this through. So he's not giving you a choice. Would you like to be more patient today? Would you like to have goodness come out of you? How about we love our enemy? You don't want to do that? Okay, that's fine. I don't like her either. That doesn't sound like the Lord. Because it's not. Because we conform to his will. Because he's the king. Ooh changes everything. So what are some of the things, here's where the whiteboard comes in, what are some of the things that we see in this passage that Paul tells us to do? Starting in verse 12, what does he ask us for? Yeah. I'm going to put it this way. I'm going to write this word. It's a bad word for us in our culture now. Respect. What do you think I'm going to write? Authority. Did you know one of the marks of the kingdom? This is me trying to write bigger. I'm trying. Is it better? Okay. One of the things that happens in our culture is anti this. So a mark of the kingdom is respecting authority. Why? Because there's a king on the throne. And he's delegated people to do things. Respect authority. What does the world tell us? I like, you know, in the Gospels a lot, Jesus says, you've heard it said. What have you heard about authority from the world? Yeah. Well, uh, the world seems to be telling us a lot along the lines of, oh, you can do what you want. Yeah. It's not a problem. That's just what those people are telling you. You know, you do what you, you know, self-actualize or whatever words they like to use. You do what you want to do. You are it. You're the authority. You're the authority. So question everything they say. 
Now, is it good sometimes to question people that are in charge? Sure. If they say something unbiblical, question that. You don't, we don't blindly follow people all the time. That's not what this means. Respect doesn't mean blindly follow. But the world's message is you're in charge. You get to do whatever you want. You're the greatest authority. You should question authority in all things instead of respecting what God has put in place. How can we as adults respect our parents? How does that work? Yeah. So if we, if we don't ever listen to them, don't ever take into account, don't ever think about, and now this might be a physical parent, might be a spiritual parent, right? But we, we don't, oh, I know, I got it. How many times have we made decisions about things? And then we come later. I want to inform you instead of, will you stand with me? What do you think? We do that kind of stuff all the time. We do that husbands and wives. We do that all the time. Husbands, you ever bought something you didn't take home? <laughs> kept it in the trunk? Kept it at the office? Kept it wherever? She doesn't know about my new guitar. <laughs> you know, but she doesn't know. I paid cash, so it doesn't even show up on the thing. We're good. I don't have a new guitar, by the way. There's no, there's no new guitar. There's no new guitar. No new guitar. But that's how, but it happens, doesn't it? Or I'm going to go buy that new whatever. I want the new thing, whatever it is. I'm going to go get it, and then he'll have to just deal with it. What is that? We're not, there's no respect in that. So even husband and wives, things that we do, the world tells you, you do what you want. You're the ultimate authority. That's not what Paul says. Respect authority. Why? Because you're kingdom citizens. You're kingdom-minded. What's the next thing he says? Esteem them very highly in, in love because of their work. Because of their work. You know, God likes work. He likes work. Work is good. What, is the, what does the world tell us? It's working for the weekend. Our whole lives are for rest. That's what we're after. We're trying just to have rest and just hang out. Not only that, but we esteem people. And he goes on to talk about admonishing the idle. Because work is good. So if there are people who are idle, who aren't doing anything, we should admonish them. What does admonish mean? Remind them vigorously. How? With a kick? No? It's the word. You envision them. Admonish them. I want to remind you of these first things so you don't forget. We're serving Christ because we serve Christ, don't just fall into a trap of rest, 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 because that's what the world says. Have you ever gone on vacation? Vacations are great, by the way. Rest is great. Today's the Sabbath day. You should take a nap today. Praise the Lord. Praise God for that, because God's given us a day of rest. He also likes rest. Rest is also good, but not rest all the time. And the problem is the world tells us it doesn't matter whether you're productive or not. We accept everyone because we don't want to be intolerant. We accept you if you're idle. We accept you if you don't do anything. We accept you because that's our greatest value now. It's not that work is good. Now tolerance is good. How do I know this? Go to any fast food restaurant and order anything. 
How's service these days? It's not good. Why not? Call any ser service, anything, anywhere. How is it? It's not great. Have you ever had somebody at Culver's or wherever that comes out and gets your tray and says, thank you, ma'am, and walks away and does the thing and comes back, can I help you? And you're like, who is this person? Give them a raise. Right? Because our culture has said tolerance is good, but work is not good. Rest is good and has flipped it around on us. But in the kingdom of God, the work is good. We're supposed to do these things. God is good to us. He's given us good work to do. What kind of work has God given you to do? What has he given you to do? I don't know if it's in this particular section, but I know it's in the Bible about caring for one another. Mm -hmm. Very true. And he goes on, Paul goes on to say that we not only admonish the idle, we encourage the faint-hearted. We help the weak. Be patient with them all. Wow, that's not. What's the, what's the world say? Not help them. The world says to go against them. The world says that we should have mental health days all the time. Now, mental health days are great. Mental health is important. I'm not against mental health. Don't hear me wrong. But if we switch everything around, the faint-hearted, those who are weak, you know, it's, it's so intolerant now. Paul is so intolerant. Idle, faint-hearted, weak. Those are bad words. Those are bad words. But did you know that children often are idle? Children are weak. Children are faint-hearted. Do we look down on them? No, we love them. We encourage them. We help them. We show them. How is the best way? What's the best way? Bring them with you to do the laundry. It's the worst. They're going to mess up every folding. It's awful. It takes twice as long. It does, doesn't it? And what will happen? My son Jonah, suddenly, he's eight. He suddenly develops some kind of leg injury every time chores happen. Oh, my legs. I'm sorry. I can't. Oh, it hurts so bad. It hurts so bad. And then he's laying on the phone. Get up, son. Get up. We're going to pick up the sticks in the yard. Get up. Oh, Lord, help me. And the Lord's training me. As, but he literally, it's his legs literally hurt. Benjamin, too, fall on the ground. What in the world? What is that? But what does Paul say? Paul says those who are weak. And he's not talking down to them. Because he also says have patience with them. Faint-hearted. Admonish them. Encourage them. Help them. Be patient with them. Why? God likes work. The kingdom's bigger than what you're doing. We have a purpose in picking up the sticks. If you pick up the sticks for nothing, it's awful. If you pick up the sticks because Jesus might come in my yard, it's worth it. Now, if you have a terrible yard, I do right now. It's a mess. It's not good. It is not what I'm talking about. But we're getting there. Make sense? So I'm saying that to you to say, not say your life has to be perfect. Paul doesn't say that. But Paul says the work is good. And Paul says doing it is good and standing in what God calls us to is good and that we should follow him. I'm going to speed this up because it's already 12. Here are some things that the world says. Don't knock it till you try it. Don't knock it till you try it. Our greatest value is tolerance. We all need mental health days. 
Again, I'm not against mental health days. They're important, right? We, we're, gonna, we're saying that. People's health is important. I'm talking about a mindset of idleness, a mindset of I can't ever do anything or produce, the mindset of my legs hurt so I fall on the ground, helping people with patience through that. Just live your best life. Mind your own business, unless it's on social media. <laughs> Doom scrolling, you ever heard of that now? It's a new term that's come out. What is it, Christian? In a loop, and you're three hours in, and you're like, have you ever had that happen? Or you're like, I gotta stop. I gotta close this computer. I gotta stop watching the shows. Because people, what do we do? We gravitate toward not this. We gravitate towards selfishness. Gravitate towards selfishness. And so we get caught in the Netflix show, and all of a sudden it's two in the morning, and you just, we're at the finale. We gotta finish it now. And it's, right? I'm, look, I know I'm not alone in this. <laughs> it's real. Doom scrolling, three hours in, and you're like, I, and then you feel sick, don't you? You physically, you're like, I can't see, nothing is good. It's not from the Lord. Now, scroll, social media is just a tool. Social media is, can be used for good or bad, but doom scrolling, let's not do that. It's a dog-eat-dog -dog world. No, it's not. It is without Jesus. Not when Christians are there. When Christians are there, dog-eat-dog -dog world becomes sheepdogs and shepherds who protect the flock, who watch out for the wolves, who speak it like it is, who say the truth even if it hurts their feelings, not in a way to put them down, but to speak for God. Wow, that's different. To actually tell people the truth. Amazing. No rest for the wicked. That's true. But also in our culture, there's no rest for anybody. Except we're all seeking it, and it happens, I guess, after midnight. I don't know. Nobody can find it. Because we find our rest now in the doom scrolling. And then we feel sick. Oh, they're toxic and I'm triggered. Everybody's toxic now. Everybody's toxic now in our culture. Because one person says the wrong thing or challenges you when you're the authority and they are toxic. Is that true? What does Paul say? Paul says, admonish them. Admonish each other. He goes on to say, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's hard to do, folks. You can only do that through the Holy Spirit who sanctifies us. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. What is the will of God in my life? Is it that I'm going to be the greatest preacher ever? Is it that I'm going to have the most successful business ever? Is it that my ministry is going to come to fruition? Is it that I'm going to be known and remembered? Is it that my legacy will be so perfect? Is it that I'm going to be the one who's going to fund all the Africa stuff because God's going to make me so rich when I manifest all the things that I'm speaking to the universe? No. What is the will of God for you? Don't be idle. The king is coming. Admonish those who need it, but you stand firm. Give thanks in all circumstances. Pray continually. Seek him. Know that he is shaping you in all circumstances, big or small, whether you're picking up trash on the parking lot or whether you're preaching to thousands, that he is using you to herald the kingdom because he's in charge. And you're not the authority. And you living your best life is not it. But instead, the work you do for him, whether it's big or small in your own eyes, is faithfulness in his. Let me say that again. The work, whether big or small in your own eyes, 
is actually measured by God in faithfulness to what he calls us to do. You know, a lot of people are afraid of public speaking or heights. I don't like heights. Spiders, snakes, whatever it is. I think the one thing that I would be most afraid of for the church, for all of us, is that we would invest our lives into something and then go stand before the Lord and say, Lord, look what I did for you. And he says, you did that for you. The Lord is the king of the kingdom. But we build things up in ourselves so much sometimes that if it's not grandiose to us, it can't be worthy for him. And instead, we just need to be faithful to what he's called us to. Because his kingdom supersedes our selfishness, our desire for rest, our idleness, our weakness. And he, at the end of the day, is the helper who's sanctifying us. The Holy Spirit of God. It's God himself. The same Holy Spirit who raised Christ from the dead is sanctifying you to look more like Jesus, to do what he's called you to do. That's good news. It's a little scary. It's empowering and exciting. It's awesome. It's great. And if you say, I'm telling you by the word of God, Lord, I give you thanks in all these circumstances. Use me for your glory. What will he do? If you have something that popped in your head right now that you're like, I know what he'll do and I don't want that, it's probably him. <laughs> and maybe we need to be a people who say, Lord, I love you more than I love what the world has said. Because the world has their thoughts, but God turns all of them upside down because his kingdom is worthy. My parents have a great Dane. He's 180 pounds. Dog, he broke my mom's toe because he stepped on her foot once. He's 180 pounds. But my Great Dane friend, I don't know, of, that lives in my parents' house, does not realize that he's a Great Dane because he lives, Lord help us, with two cats who all think they're a Great Danes. They are ridiculous. <laughs> they were rescued itty bitty. Now they're like 20 something pounds and they're, my mom loves them too much. Um, and a French bulldog. And so the French bulldog is this big. It looks like a sausage that just has legs and runs and with breathing problems. And so the Great Dane assumes I'm like them, which is why he accidentally broke my mom's foot. Well, my mom, or her toe. So my parents went on a trip, and they gave the Great Dane to Jeff and Naomi Adam, if you know them from our Troy congregation, who live on a farm in Eolia, Missouri. And so they've got 40 acres, and they got Samson, the Great Dane, and they took him outside, and they put him out there with their lab. And they were like, go, play. And the dog didn't know what to do. Because there's squirrels, there's so many, and he's not in a fence. Usually there's a fence to protect the squirrels from him. But he, now they're just right there. And the lab's looking at him like, what are you doing, you idiot? Let's go do stuff. And he, uh, Naomi said, he was so dumb that he would just run through like thorn bushes and then get caught in them and not know what to do. Because in his heart, He's a French bulldog or a cat. That's what he is. He doesn't realize he's the biggest, scariest dog on the block, for sure. 180 pounds. He breaks toes without thinking about it. Like, this is a big dog. If he would realize who he was, every animal in Eolia, Missouri would fear him. But he was too dumb to realize it because he'd been around Frenchies, French bulldogs, and cats for too long. 
we have been steeped around people who love rest, love their bellies. Their kingdom is their own kingdom. They're the authority. They love idleness. They don't realize that they're wrong. They're weak. They're faint-hearted because that's what the world says. The world says these are all good. If you would wake up to realize that the lion of the tribe of Judah lives within you by the Holy Spirit, you are the biggest, baddest dude on the block. And when the devil and his demons look at your street for the threats that are around, you are on the top of their list. You understand that? The demons are telling each other, watch out for you. Because the Lord himself lives in you. And God said, I'm going to put you in this neighborhood, in this workplace, in this family, in 2023 for my purpose. What if we woke up to that? What if you woke up to it? And what if just picking up the trash on the street and proclaiming his kingdom and preaching to multitudes and seeing people healed and proclaiming the truth and love and encouraging the body and admonishing the idol was just how we live? What would St. Louis look like? What would our street look like? That's what we're called to do. And it's a good calling, isn't it? Will you stand? I'm going to pray for you. The Lord is with us. Surely he will do it. If you're under pressure today because you're like, I don't think I'm a great Dane. He will do it. The Holy Spirit will have his way. He's God Almighty. He is not messing around. And he's kind. He's gracious. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. But make no mistake. You are yoked to him. So when you feel a little afraid because God's pushing you in places that you don't know that you should go or don't want to be there or you're not sure and you feel idleness coming on or faint-heartedness or weakness, you can reach out to each other, yes, but also come into the Lord and say, Lord, strengthen me. Surely you will do it. He's faithful. He's faithful. He's going to accomplish these things. Lord, you are gracious. Help us, Lord, in our weakness. Lord, I confess to you that my backyard doesn't look ready for the king. But Lord, you surely will do it. Lord, I come to you at times where we have felt idle, where we want to just give in to what the world says. Help us, Lord. Help us to be kingdom-minded kingdom that we will follow you. Lord, grip us with your word. Grip us with your gospel that we would serve you in our neighborhoods, we'd serve you in our families, we'd serve you in our workplaces. Lord, let all of them resound that we would say this place is kingdom ready for Jesus to walk. Lord, we want you to walk through the, the halls of, and the aisles of Walmart, but Lord, in our own homes, we want you to be able to walk there and see this reflects the kingdom. So Lord, we submit ourselves to you because surely you will do it. Lord, we look to you in your gentle hand, but also by your word that never changes, Lord, we look to you. Do with us according to your word, we pray. We are yours. May you know the call of the Father. May you know the rule of the Son who is the king over the kingdom. And may you know the power of the Holy Spirit who surely will do it and sanctify you to look like Jesus for his kingdom plan. God bless you. The Lord is with you. Have a great day. Thank you all. Blessings to you. Thank you for staying a little late.
Bless you guys. Have a great day.